Hello, I'm Annie Coops and this is the Leadership Quest podcast, where I seek out conversations with people who have an interesting perspective on leaders and leadership. So much has changed since these were recorded, but they're still brilliant insights. So if you want to think about leadership in these extraordinary times, they will be just right for you. In the meanwhile, be safe and stay well. Welcome to this podcast, the third in the second series of The Leadership Quest. Please don't go back and listen to the first series if you've only just tripped up and found us. In this one, I have the great pleasure of having a conversation with Kath Lavery, who is the chair of Yorkshire Ambulance Service, where I'm also a non-executive director. It was interesting to understand that sometimes you think that you know someone, but having a much deeper conversations leads to great insights. Kath has so much experience, and the thing that struck with me is her transition from politics to NHS leadership. Listen and enjoy. There is much wisdom here. Good morning, Kath. Good morning, Anne. Um, we're sat here in um, the Yorkshire Ambulance Service Trust headquarters today in Wakefield, and it's a pleasure to be with you in your little office here. <laughs> My um, little office with no windows. <laughs> absolutely. Um, we're both very familiar with this office, aren't we? We are indeed, yes. For our listeners, um, I know you quite well, I think, by now, but could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am Cattle Avery, and one of my roles is Chairman of Yorkshire Ambulance, and obviously um, Anne, who's doing this, is a non-exec here, so yes, we do know each other um, well. I've got a bit of an odd background, I suppose. Um, I'm a farm labourer's daughter from the depths of rural Holderness, so I was born out in one of the villages near Withensee. My dad was um, a gamekeeper as well, and... So I um, ended up going to Leeds, did a degree in information science. Um, so I'm a scientific and technical librarian, which nobody gets, but a very isolated and um, rural upbringing, which made me a very unassertive and very academic youngster, I suppose. Did my degree, came out, um, did a bit of librarianship, ended up at Hull Guild Hall as the um, Assistant Information Officer to the members of the Council and found politics. Mm-hmm. So um, nobody would have believed that. My father definitely didn't. Um, within a year, I was the Nalgo shop steward. Within another five or six years, I went full-time with my union, transferred to Unison. Like lots of Unison, well, union full-time officers, joined the Labour Party uh, and ended up getting elected. Wow. To the council which I'd left to go um, full-time with my union. Yeah. So I had a long political career, both as an elected councillor and indeed as a party official. So chairman of everything, party secretary, party apparatchik, parliamentary agent to Alan Johnson MP, if anybody remembers him, but I had this long career as trade union officer, elected Labour councillor, party apparatchik. How old were you when you um, became a full-time union member? 32. 32. Mm. became a shop steward when I was 26. Wow. And uh, went full-time at 32. Had my first daughter at 35. Bearing in mind um, your description of where you were brought up, um, that was quite 
quick then to be that at 26. I think what people didn't realise, and I don't know if I realised it myself until I look back, is I was born into one of the most hierarchical communities in, in rural England, the people in the big house, um, who my mother hated, mm. but who my father somewhat revered. Right, he was okay. their gamekeeper. Yeah? yeah. And so I was brought up in a place where money mattered. Yeah. And the big house mattered, and they were treated differently queuing in the little village shop on a Saturday and then walking straight to the front of the queue because they came from the big house and they had the big car parked house. And I think that had a, an influence that I didn't realise too much mm-hmm. later on. But don't forget, I'm talking about, I went to university in 1970, graduated in 73, so became a shop steward in 1976, 77. And there was somebody called Margaret Thatcher appeared around that time. Yeah, and I the remember. country was as divided as it is now. And I think a set of values that had always been there found a home. And now go, and, and the, the person you see sat in front of you today is an is a absolute product of the trade union movement. Because I did all my learning as a shop steward. Assertiveness for women training, commonly known as divorcing the weekend. Because mm. you arrived on a Friday, went home after Sunday lunch and divorced your husband. Because, you, you, I mean, oh, I used to tutor it when I came full time. But it really did have that effect in opening women's eyes as yeah. to as that. So negotiating skills, assertiveness training, all of those things which, having to stand up for something, having to believe in something and, and stand up for that, I learned in the trade union movement. And when I went full time, full time women trade union officers were still fairly thin on the ground. I was the only female shop steward on my branch committee. Wow. And, but they, they, they produced a, a, a different woman and I will be always grateful to them. I had a great, great time in the trade union movement and I am still very close to, to some of the people who I worked with there. But it was a great experience, great, great experience. And, and set me into politics, which then dominated a lot more of my life until I left. And the NHS came in. Um, I lost a seat. I lost an election yeah. in 1998, yeah. which was devastating. And if anybody's listening who's ever lost an election, I share your pain. It is the most awful thing. Most awful thing. And to standing in a room and watch the votes pile up against you, and you can do nothing about it, is heartbreaking. Mm. And this is Thursday and you're out of office on Sunday and there's no redundancy payment. I mean, it's yeah. just enormously yeah. emotional and difficult. And, but I went into the NHS at that point as one of the, as the lay member on the first PCGs, which Unison nominated me for. And so I had a long political career, and but it broke down in values, behaviour in the end, after such a long time. And you see it in the news right now, don't you? The attacks on women politicians. Yeah. And my own party did that to me. Mm. And it devastated me. And as luck would have it, I was already, by this time, very active in the NHS. So I had somewhere to go to, because by this time I'd retired from Unison. So I found in the NHS somewhere where my values were put into use and where I could empathise with the values. But where the... Where, where skill and ability and that mattered rather than being able to... That's really interesting. Um, obviously, the podcast um, is about leadership and um, I'm intrigued by your journey 
and by some of the things that you've learned and some of the thoughts that that might have given you about the meaning of leadership. Um, And I wondered what leadership meant to you in the context of your trade union and perhaps your political experience. I think I think they're very similar. I mean, I because of my political career, which the union very much supported, I never rose to a high management position yeah. in, in the union. Although I did some very very interesting work, but that but in politics that was different. I mean, at a local government level, I ended up in cabinet. <clears throat> so the the leadership elements are, are very similar, but in politics, leadership is about having the support of your peers because they put you there. Um, leadership in politics, particularly, is around your ability to get your ideas accepted. It, it's about your ability to persuade others, whether that is on your feet in a big speech. So oratory, the use of your voice, is crucial to political leadership in a way that it perhaps isn't anywhere else. And you think of those really big politicians, Nye Bevan, mm-hmm. who is my hero, will always be my hero, but on his feet in the House of Commons, describing what he wants to produce in the NHS. Martin Luther King, the oratory of Dr King. And to, to Blair's huge ability to speak, and, and people like Bill Clinton's huge abilities to speak. So your ability to... What's in your heart and your head come out of your mouth mm-hmm. is part of political leadership, that vision that you give other people of what you want to achieve. It's, it's about bringing people around you to deliver that. Because you're only as good as your last vote, which is unlike anything else, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's, it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a leadership that is transient mm-hmm. in a way that no other is. You know, you'd like to think, I'm transparent. Mm-hmm. And subject to other people's votes. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether that is a as a cabinet member around your cabinet table, or as a Labour group member in your Labour group, or in the party itself, or with your electorate, you are only as good as people putting a cross on a piece of paper or holding their hand up. And if you lose that, then you lose your leadership. It's not really about, as it is here, for instance, I'd like to think if I'm really good at what I do as the chair of Yorkshire Ambulance, Somebody in Quarry House is going to reappoint me. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. But that isn't the same. It's so fragile, is political leadership. And I have lost it. I lost that election. You know, How it's... did you um, prepare yourself? So people listening to the podcast, I've actually heard you speak a couple of times now, and um, it's a bit awe-inspiring, really. <laughs> I think to myself, I wish I could do that. Um, and I'm a reasonable speaker, I think, but I'm not um, a public speaker. It's not the same thing. I'm a presenter. I can pres- yes. present. Yeah. Um, how would you advise people to perhaps go about trying to gather some of those skills, the skills that you're talking about? I think a lot of it is experience. And, uh, you know, I, 40 years in or whatever long I am mm. in, I said once as good, you know, 30 years ago as I like to think I am now. The... It is really two or three things. I mean, you, you get used to the rhythm of, of public speaking. And there's people that would tell you any speech comes in third, you know, it needs a beginning, a middle and an end, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Leave on a high, so, you know, deliver that big message at the end and, and, and go. But it's more than that, really. I very rarely speak to notes. If it's, a, if it's a something that's going to be half an hour or something, you've got to have some key points or what have you. But mostly, ten minutes, get up there and talk. Mm. And 
that's the trick really, is get up there and talk. Tell people what's in your heart. Don't worry so much about your head. Because leadership in, in that way is about you having a set of values and beliefs and a vision that inspires other people. So if you can't let what's in your heart come out your mouth, then that's not what you're doing. You know, you've, you've got to come off that platform and people think, well, whatever she said, she was bloody honest. And that's really important. That was Kath. You know, it wasn't the speech that somebody had written for her. Yes. They write me speeches here, bless them. And I always, I mean, they, I must drive them mad. You know, they, they give me them and I go, thank you ever so much. And then I just completely forget them. Um, because it's got to be personal. So Karen Linus in one of the podcasts in the last series of six, Karen refers to purpose and I think vision, the ability to explain that to other people as being a key part of leadership, I think. And I think that probably is what you are describing. I think so. I mean, people people join causes. Yes. Now, whether I spent a lot of my life in a big cause, trade union and labour movement, I'm a socialist, you know, hand on heart, no going to be anything else. I'm not in the party anymore, but my socialism runs very strong. So I joined a cause, a cause to change the world in ways that I wanted to change it. I joined a cause that was about fairness, justice and equality. I still believe that, but that's still what I'm trying to do. People join causes, create a cause. And that isn't about writing a paper. That's about inspiring a, a vision, a cause, something that people want to belong to and join. And you've got to give them that. And here in Yorkshire Ambulance, you know, it's a massive cause, isn't it? Patient care, the, the whole issue of 24-7, 365 days a year, out there, whatever the weather the glue in the middle of the NHS, the, the doing things that nobody else is doing because they've put it down, the, the cause of a decent employer, a great place to work, a place that respects people and their values, that we live our values, that we don't put up with abuse or racism or homophobia or all of those things that we, we set that culture at the board and we mean it and we walk it and breathe it. That's my job is to get those things across to, to everybody and be an ambassador for what this organisation... I, I like the idea of um, being cause, a caused-based leader. Yeah. I think that <laughs> appeals to me too. Um, if you were to go back and look at your young self growing through that process and obviously um, relatively youthful, <laughs> becoming... Because uh, I don't think you were that old when you were elected either, were you, the first time? No, no, no in my early 30s, really. So, yeah. and I think... That, Looking from where I look at it now, I think that's quite young. Um, what, what, what was the learning that you think you had to learn along that way? There is a naivety that can be born of big cause. I remember believing, you do caseload, don't you? You know, councillors do caseloads, trade union do caseload. I believed everybody. You know, I mean, anybody that walked through my door with a sob story, I believed. <laughs> um, you learn but some of them are pulling your leg. Yeah. And that's just experience. Um, you learn how to handle an aggressive audience. If you're going to be in my world, you met aggressive audiences. Mm. Whether that was a room full of your members as a trade union official who really didn't want what you were saying they should have. Um, or, or a set of constituents who 
really loathed you with a vengeance for them or something was happening. So you learned to manage conflict. And I wasn't very good at that as a youngster. It, it distressed me. It still does to a certain extent. I mean, I, I, I can, I'm still easily hurt. I mean, you know that. You know me very well. Um, but you learn to manage conflict, and I don't think I was very good at that. Um, I, I look back and worry about my work-life balance. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my my girls were young, and I was a very ambitious politician, mm-hmm. um, married to a journalist, and, and we had careers that took us both away and. You know, I look back at Rachel, who was my, I don't know, child man and nanny is a bit of an elaborate term for Rachel, but she worked for me at home. And and we were lucky enough to have her in our lives for a long time, so we had a third adult. But I do talk to my girls now, we were, what, 30, going up 34 and the other ones 29. Same as you were, really. Yeah. And I say to them, did I hurt you? And they assure me that I didn't. Mm. I remember talking to Brian about it and, and he's saying... Did I get that wrong? And him saying, well, at least they knew that women could do more than wash up, which was quite true. One of my daughters is very, very radical. But they, you, looking back, I don't think I got that balance right at all. I dragged them around with me everywhere. Mm. I mean, they did more leafleting, canvassing, and sitting in the guild hall waiting for him to come out of the meeting in the councillor's lounge watching the telly with a packet of crisps than I cared to remember. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think it didn't do them any harm. But... You know, I, I was that young mother. My younger daughter was born when I was counsellor. I was the first pregnant woman counsellor in Hull in living memory, really. I think um, remembering what you said earlier about the timings of much of this happening and the timing that you were at university and so on, and you said earlier, I think, that you were unusual, that you were a, a female full-time member. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess there was, there'd be something that was about the gender around oh, all of those years <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. And reflecting back on your leadership journey then, what would you, would you reflect about gender in that context? Well, I was the only woman shop steward on our branch committee. So, of course, the, the immediate assumption was that I took the minutes. Sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> that wasn't particularly unusual. I was a qualified information scientist in this information unit in the Guildhall. And so you could write... Yeah, Mabel, you know, male counsellors used to come through the door when I was an employee and say, can you take a letter? And I used to say, well, no, I don't do shorthand, because that's how you did it then. And they say, you don't. I say, no, believe it, I'm not one part of my degree. Um, but I got the same problem in the trade union movement. Mm-hmm. Are you putting the kettle on, Cal? Are you taking the minutes then, Cal? Uh, why me? So the, there was this massive learning around standing up for yourself. And, of course, the, the women's movement was just beginning, really. And I was really part of that, and some of it we got so wrong. I mean, I remember in the early days, um, you you can't see me, people out there, but I've got really, really curly hair. And I remember cutting it really, really short. And, you know, we dressed in docks and dungarees and cropped hair and smoked roll-ups and drank pints of Guinness. And at some point, we realised that we were just trying to be pseudo-men. And that being a woman, with all the things that women like, you know, I'm a makeup junkie and you know, all the rest of it. My wardrobes are legendary. I have been told that we live in a four-bedroom wardrobe. Now, I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't I? I am female and a leader. And it, it really annoys me when people say, 
the women leaders and say, no, no, I'm a leader who was born a woman, you know, the, and, and female, the things that women enjoy, we have every right to enjoy, you know, I had two children, although some of the worst criticisms I got about working and being elected and having young children was from older women, um, who told me categorically they couldn't have left theirs in the way that I left mine. Um, but we were proud of our... That we were we were setting a new road. And, um, and we embraced that with a vengeance. So, you know, I, I looked to an elder daughter now who took nearly a year off on maternity leave. I had my younger daughter on the Sunday and chaired my council committee on the Thursday. Because that's where our pride was, and that we... we Housework went out the window. You know, I mean, it was a, it was a, a, it was as damaging in some ways. Um, but it was that pride in women being able to do more. Women have it all. You know, that that, that says, well, women can't have it all. Yes, the bloody well can. You know, was part of who we were. But for yeah. a while, we just tried to be men. Yeah. And and that it's about having being having real pride in your gender and. And being female, but being able to do it as well. That was a huge learning curve for women of my age. Um, you you yeah, talked well. about how when, uh, these are my words, I think, I, I can't remember your exact words, but you talked about managing a caseload and you talked yeah. about how um, you were almost naive and, and soft in yes. terms of your approach yeah. to managing that. When did you start to realise and how did you tackle that? issue in, in how you dealt with things? Uh, I think you learn from the more experienced. Mm-hmm. I was a very new counsellor on one of Hull's Estates, and one of my ward colleagues was a woman called Catherine who was no longer with us and she was a lot older than me and her sitting me down and saying some of them are being truthful mm. and she was I used to, because my seat, right, my constituency, my ward, it was actually a long way from where I lived. I had to go to Cass for Tea before we had, you know, party meetings on and, and, and I was doing my surgery and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and, and she talked to me while we had tea. And, and I was a very radical young counsellor. I mean, I, you know, no doubt about it, you know, I clustered around the feet of um, some very left-wing leaders like Tony Benn in the ways that, you know, some youngsters have clustered around Jeremy Corbyn. And, and I was in a party where we were all the young, university-educated sons and daughters of working-class parents and very, very left-wing, dealing with party members who were much older than us and certainly not as left-wing as us. And the leader of the council, who was a guy called Pat Doyle, who, when I bump into him now, was a very elderly gentleman as he is now, I still cannot call him Pat. <laughs> I still either refer to him as leader or... Because he's so much... Bigger than me. Mm-hmm. But I remember Pat taking me up to one side in, um, in a corridor and saying, you know, Kath, the Labour Party um, owes more to Methodism than it ever will to Marxism. Mm-hmm. And it was people who took the time. A guy called Alex Clark, and Alex was the secretary of the Labour Group and chair of the Humber Bridge Board when it opened. Drove his little car across the Humber Bridge. But he saw in me a, a, a young woman who was learning and growing in, in her beliefs and her politics, and lent me books and took the time. And, and he died 
couple of years ago, I, I knew his daughter very well. And she said to me, I'm clearing my father's house. His, her mother was on the council well, who terrified me, I have to say. Her mother was gone. We a different animal altogether. Um, but she said, I'm clearing because her mother had died some time before. I'm clearing dad's house. Would you like some of his books? She said, I don't want to do them. And I said, are you sure? She said, yeah, just come and take as many as you like. Well, I took a lot. Except I've got Brian going, we can't have any more Our books. <laughs> Librarians married to journalists tend to have houses full of books. And my husband's a writer now and a lecturer in creative writing. So, you know. Lots of books. Houses full of books. But I did go and take um, a big bag full of his books. And that meant a great, great deal to me. Um, and he was very important. So people did take the time. So I'm hearing from you um, that you didn't make that journey completely on your own. Oh, no. No, no. There were lots of people who acted as guides, mentors, wise people yeah. around you. Yeah. And that, I guess, is something that people can take away from the podcast, that very rarely, in my experience, would people ever say that a journey had been taken completely alone. And that is very true. You know, I, I think of people like, in the trade union, like John Cafferty, who is Unison's regional secretary for Yorkshire and the Humberland. And he was my immediate boss for a long time. And he's a good friend. And I learned a lot from John. Mm. And, and just with working with people and talking to people, yeah, there, there was a, people were very important. And you can, you can never repair that, the time that people take with you. And, and there are others that, you know, that... I don't want to embarrass them here by, by waxing lyrical. I mean, the people I've talked about have mostly gone now. Mm-hmm. And, but the time that... The best thing you can ever give somebody is, is your time. And I'm grateful to every one of them. I try and give some of that back. I, I really, do. really do. Uh, particularly younger women here. You know, if they want to see me there, they're welcome. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Uh, you pass it back. Stuff like that. But a lot of it's just learning by mistakes. Heck, I've made a lot. Mm. Mm. Really big ones. Um, there's nothing like politics and making you realise you're a big mistake. <laughs> so you grow as a leader through failure. Very visible mistakes, I would imagine. Oh, huge. There's not another leader on the planet, is there really, that when they make a big mistake gets it yeah. splashed across the front pages of your local newspaper. Yeah. yeah. embarrass your children a lot that way, yeah in the news again um so so um that's a little bit about and i could talk to you all day about your experiences actually but that's a little bit about your political sort of learning and then you transitioned into the nhs didn't you i did and i wondered what your thoughts were on that on that leadership transition and what what skills you brought with you perhaps or what we could learn from what your experiences were what's it like being the chair of a unitary Trust board. Well, it's, it's a very different skill set in many ways, but similar in others. I mean, I think the one thing that I, looking back now, really, really believe is that you get a set of values and you believe in something. You, you can't survive as a politician, nor should you. And it's the same here, isn't it? You, know, you, you have to be that chairman that sets that tone and you set the tone for your board, that you stand for something. Because if you don't... If you float in the wind, sway in the breeze, or whatever you want to call it, you lose the essence of who you are. And so you have to bring that to any board, is, is that you say, this is who I am. 
and mean that. Live by it. You know, you if I make mistakes, at least I know I've made them with the best of intentions rather than I'm just playing some game. But a unitary board is around consensus. It's around persuasion and all of that, which I learnt in politics. I can't remember the last time we took a vote around the board table, can you? No. Whereas in local government, that's all I did really, is, is make sure that hands were going up when I spoke, that you knew they were going to go up and that you knew you were going to walk out with that vote. Because by hecking politics, don't go into a room not knowing whether your votes are in place. But here it's different. Here it's a debate. Here it's about making sure that this unitary board discusses and debates and comes to a consensus where everybody's had that contribution. In politics, I don't care if anybody's had any contribution at all, as long as their hands are going up in the right time. And and for some people, that was really all they wanted to do. They weren't the big speakers. They just were prepared to put their hands up at the right time. And you had your gang, and that's what you did. But here, that's different. I don't think we're a gang here, are we, really? No, you're you're people with um, independence and opinion and brain and ability. And if I take credit for anything, it's a point in your (laughs) thinking we're not exact point of view. because when I do a point on execs, I'm looking for that fit and that value-driven approach and the fact that people have got the right values in place for what we want to achieve here. But your intellect and your ability to understand, and, and I'm talking to you very early about our board papers, the, the, the ability to absorb information and contribute and use your skills and, and background and to do that is hugely important an executive team that is prepared to debate outside of their own portfolios for instance that you know you come together with that broader brush is hugely important um so i'm the orchestral conductor you're board in politics i guess power is different to the power that you might hold here um power in politics is everything of and I understand, really understand, that if you want to change the world, you've got to be in power. You know, you have. You've got to get elected. And I'll give anybody credit who puts themselves up for election. It's scary. It binds you in lots of ways, but it is scary. Um, but here, and power is something that people desperately want to hang on to. And I'll go back again to values. You know, you don't do that at the expense of your values. I watched the last election with people who quite frankly, were believed in Remain, but were campaigning for Brexit because they thought it would get them elected. And it didn't. Well, if you're going to lose an election, do it with your values intact. And I look at Jess Phillips, who was open and honest and said, I know my constituents voted leave. I know you all did. Disagree with you. This is why. If you don't want me as your MP, understand that, don't vote for me. And she was back. Values. Mm. Be honest. Um, so in, in both environments, values are a key part yeah, of things. Yeah, the power's different. Why is it different? Well, for a set of our kind structural to do anything. I mean, if you're a cabinet member in local government, the, in fact, if you're a councillor in local government, the ruling group, local government officer's job is to implement the manifesto of their ruling group. So as a cabinet member particularly, you instruct. They walk through the door and they say, what do you want me to do? They might come in with some ideas and say, do you think this is right? Does this give you what you want and all of that? And I was very lucky with my office team. 
very, very lucky. When I was in cabinet, economy and business, in my head of economy and regeneration, I'd known him a long time. He'd been a shop steward at one point in his life, so I'd worked with him. But I knew him very well. My policy advisor you know, was at my side. Um, so you do work things out together. But in the end, it is, what do you want us to do? That was one of the biggest changes from local government to the NHS, was that I spent all my life being able to instruct. In fact, they needed that instruction. Yeah. They needed that direction. Um, yeah, that's not where I am here, is it? I mean, no, I don't no. have the ability to get Rod in my office and say, look here, this is what we're doing. Because he's more than capable of turning around and saying, no, we're not. Um, so the, the what my role is here is, is very different. It's one of governance and scrutiny and challenge and all of that, but Rod's in charge of the organisation in a way that is very, very different. So you get me back again to influence and persuasion and indeed relationship, of course, because... Um, I've had some very good relationships with local government chief executives. Some very good ones. But in the end, you're in charge. Mm. My one-to-one relationship with Rod and, and as a board is a much more cons- consensus-based um, way of working. And I love it. I mean, please don't get me wrong, I love it. The power of being, even a as I was in a local government, so I'm never in national government, but that power can be very heady. And it's very exciting and very adrenaline served. You know, you have some of the best times ever. You have some of the worst. Mm. But this is where you can settle down and use your brain and, and all of that in a very different way to contribute to an organisation like I love this place. I really do. And it's a different role, but a very important one, I think, where you set that tone. You know, you do. do you think you're a leader here? Yes. Um, the executive are leaders too. I think we all are. I think we all have that leadership role. But that leadership is around culture, what I stand for. Um, I think that's really important. I can't do it on my own. I mean, let's face it, if I was standing here saying we need to be this culture with these behaviours and, you know, that's how we're going to treat the staff and this is how we're going to treat patients. So that if I was a lone voice in, in that, well, I wouldn't get anywhere at all. So we have to say that together. Um, and I think we do. But as the chairman, you have an added responsibility to that. As I think Rod does as the chief executive, but... So leadership here is that team-based unitary board leadership, but having the strength to stand up when, when you're needed and, and be happy with doing that and to really stand up for what you believe in when it's needed and to have those conversations when you need to. One of the things that um, I always ask people is around leadership development. Um, and I, I cite my personal experience as a, a youngish nurse who went off on a King's Fund high-profile leadership programme for two years and had a great time. Um, and the question really is, did I go in as just Anne and come out as Anne the leader at the end? Or did I just go in as Anne with some latent skills that were more finely developed through the process of leadership? And 
you know, in other words, can we create leaders or is it a latent quality in someone? I, I think I think it's both. Um, nobody who knew me as a teenager would have expected me to be where I am now because I was so introvert. Nobody was surprised I became a librarian. Everybody would be surprised mm. to see where I am now. My father just didn't get it at all. But what I had, I think, which I found a bit later on, was this, uh, this massive sense of right and wrong, which drives me. This inequality, unfairness, injustice. And that has never gone away. That's what's driven me. Somebody had to bring that out and give me the confidence to stand up for, for that. I was a bullied kid at school, you know, in high school particularly. as a young high school student. The trade union movement did that, gave me the, the, the confidence and the ability to stand up for what I believed in. I then, you know, a lot of years in politics, I <laughs> that fairly well. I've never done any formal leadership training, not at all. I've had some very, very good advice from people and I've worked with some great people. Still do. And so have I had any of those sort of leadership courses that you're talking about? No. Have I learnt from some great leaders? Yes. Some of it's been learning through failure. As I say, there's been a lot of learning through failure for me. But I think there's got to be something in there first, however deep down it was. And for me, I know it was. This massive sense of right and wrong. And... and and what that means, you know, you, and I, it still drives me insane. You know, I live in a city in Hull where inequality stares you in the face. Big piece out this morning on the unified benefit, or whatever it's flipping well called, and the massive debt now in council house infuriates me. It still makes me so angry that there is this massive difference in people's lives. And once I've lost that, I think. It's time to go. Once I've lost that sense of fury, it's time to go. Is it the what's striking me about what you're saying is that um, you it's a, a value-driven sort of passion that you're able to use in a positive way, whereas some people have the passion maybe and have the ability to describe it even, but not quite the skills to do something about it. I think that's true, and I'd hate anybody to think that I don't sometimes get that wrong. Mm. because passion can be destructive mm. and it can make you not think logically. I think experience and years have taught me how to channel it properly, but I don't always get it right. All I can say is that it is still passion and fury of what is wrong that drives it. Mm. The, the skill comes in knowing how to make that work you and your organisation and for the people that you're trying to change the world for. That's where the skill comes. So those skills then that you've brought with you um, from your political world and this this question that we have about um, in the health service whether people in, in any position need to have political skills, yes. what would you say about that? Well I read Helen Bevan's tweet this morning and I've now lost it on my iPad but I read it this morning and identified with, with a lot of it, the use of political skills. And I thought, yeah, absolutely. That, you know, what I learned is useful. I was a trade union officer for most of my working life. I care about this workforce. Now, I'm not saying other people don't, but it's been, 
huge part of my working life and I understand perhaps how you should treat a workforce how I would expect a good employer to treat a workforce I've been at the other side and and I've done all the caseload and all of you know all of those things but I have this absolute inbuilt you know becoming a shop steward at 26 years of age belief that you should treat people well and that's how you get the best out of them you can't become a trade union officer if you don't believe that can you that no. you know people have a right to dignity and respect at work and and that wrong things should be put right and quickly please you know so i brought that here and that those political skills around oratory it's important here i know it is you know stick me on a platform get me off the problem isn't it you know that i'll speak anywhere and at any time you know but we like it yeah getting me off the platform is the problem um i hope that's useful in, on occasions um but the the whole skill of networks mm. i'm a massive networker you know i have massive networks comes from what i learned in politics about bringing people around you talking to people I'm somebody who instinctively works in a team because you can't deliver politics in any other way really you can't you've got to have those that little network of people around you who you trust and you know and, and who you die for really um, so there's all of that but I I talk to communities important with this job is being able to talk to lots of different types and groups of people and all of that but I remember being interviewed for this job and I'd been out the NHS for three years and really wanted to come back and this was the job that was on the NHS website so I thought well I'll have a go for that I'm not going to get it because I've been a commissioning chairman for all that time so from 1998 to 2013 I'd been a commissioning chairman of some sort or other so this is 2016 I want to come back and there's a big provider on the website I'm thinking well I'm not going to get that I might have no experience you know but it's good it's a good way of getting your CV up to date and letting them know that I'm interested in new chairmanship and was much much puzzled because unison full-time officers who become NHS chairs are pretty rare because of you know unison organisation but all the interview panel wanted me to talk about was my trade union career how you um, consult and engage with the workforce properly? Did I have any ideas from that from Unison? What about talking to communities, community engagement and involvement from my time in politics? And I'm thinking this is odd because I'd I'd sort of done a lot of homework around finance and you know um, things like fleet and technical things, logistics and yeah. what have you. And and was really surprised when I got it. So surprised, in fact, that um, Janice Scanlon, who was then heading up the appointments unit, because I went silent, did that, you are going to accept this, aren't you? And I went, oh, yes, <laughs> as I went sort of silent. Um, but when I got here, understood why the questions had been what they had and what my skill set was right for this job. Yeah. Because this job was about culture. Yeah. Yeah. It was about leading a culture change of an organisation, and we're still in that culture change. Yeah, you know, we're that. still on that journey, aren't we? But that's where my skill set came in. Yeah, because that's, that's just all about respect and that yes, say yes to respect campaign. We're yeah, on it now. Yeah, 
uh, workforce involvement, engagement and respect at work and how we engage with our communities. So yeah, right skill set for this job. That's, and, uh, that's interesting yeah, to me, yeah. Yeah, round pegging around hurling in this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, we're coming towards the end of our time, I think. Um, I always ask people... Um, I ask them if they think they're a leader, and I think you've answered that question for me. I think you think you are, and I would agree. Oh, it sounds a bit arrigant when you no, say no, that. No, no, I, 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 I don't think true. it is arrogant. I think it isn't. I think I'd be disappointed as a chair of a trust if I asked you that question and you said no. I'm quite <laughs> yeah. honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that's important. But then I also ask people if I was to interview somebody else about this same area of talking, really, who would I talk to? Who would you recommend that I talk to and why? One of the chairs I admire the most, and I've known her a long, long time, is Linda Pollard at Leeds Teaching. She's very different to me, very different background. We met a long, long time ago. Um, and she's been a real friend all, all the way through my time in the NHS. Yeah. What, what I'd like to think... I have that she has is bravery she's one of the bravest chairman I've ever met she's a businesswoman yeah you know so yeah. different background and heck when Linda got Leeds teaching and she was the PCT chair in Leeds of course didn't mean her. she sat in the chief exec's office because the chief exec went within and, and this was the Jimmy Savile time and, yeah. and the trust yeah. was hugely in deficit but no moaning, just roll up your sleeves, take a deep breath. Very brave woman, icon, in my opinion. Mm. I always said she's the one person, if I knew she was applying for the same chairmanship as me, I'd pull out. Mm. She laughs when I tell her, but I think it's absolutely true. We are very different human beings, but we get on like a house on fire. And I admire her for that resilience and bravery that she's brought to such a big chairmanship, and she's still doing it. We're not, I suppose, I mean, I'm, now in my very late 60s, she's in the same place. So we're not kids, mm. but her experience shows. And yeah, and she's funny in a very okay. occasionally improper way. But she's, That's she's a, yeah, she, I, I'd go to say talk to Linda. She's the one Thank that you. is around, you know. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Oh, it's been um, a pleasure. I learned some things about you that I didn't know. There you go. Well... <laughs> so I didn't know that your dad had been a gamekeeper. <laughs> so thank yeah. you for your time this morning. It's um, been a real pleasure. I hope it was useful. Of course it was useful. I hope <laughs> the listeners enjoy it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to comment, please tweet me. I'm at Annie Coops. Or leave a comment on leadershipquest.net. We'd love to hear from you and love to hear your thoughts on the topics that we're discussing.